The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're heard in over 60 countries around the world. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And today we're broadcasting from Los Angeles. Now, we've all heard about the uh, tragic events in Nepal. They had two earthquakes above magnitude 7 in just two weeks. I remember the, the one in Los Angeles um, what, about 12 or 13 years ago. Wow. And that wasn't as big as these. Instagram's been playing a vital role in disseminating information to the earthquake survivors in Nepal. Photographers from Nepal and India are using social media to spread crucial information after the massive earthquake shook that mountainous country last Tuesday, less than three weeks after after the previous one that killed thousands, nearly 10,000. I've been in that part of the world, and it's absolutely spectacular. It's it's mountainous, it's cut off, it's beautiful, but – and – you know, it's really the last place. It's fairly primitive, really. It's the last place you'd expect Instagram to be playing such a large part. But the Nepal Photo Project is capturing both the horrors of the natural disaster, but also providing inspiring moments of hope for the people that are there. Information on uh, where needs the, the highest, uh, links to fundraising campaigns, photographs of missing people, all going out on Instagram. Writer Tara Beattie, who helped launch the effort, explained that their major parameter for what they post is simple. It needs to communicate something pur- purposeful or meaningful. Now, people in Nepal are pretty shaken up after um, this last quake, and uh, life had just slowly begun com- coming back to normal, but it seems like they're back to square one again. But the, dis- the disaster response from the government and the public's been good. And, uh, but Instagram has made one hell of a big difference. Beattie started the project. It attracted more than 31,000 followers on Instagram in just three weeks. And uh, social media users are encouraged to contribute images and information by using the Nepal Photo Project hashtag. It seems like utilising imagery to report what's happening as opposed to just sensationalising the devastation, which is really what's happening on our news broadcast, was an important aspect of the project as people up there are consuming news and information through images. You know, initiatives such as pictures um, of missing people, 
pasted on wall as they were um, uh, admitted to hospital, for example, made it easier for relatives to track them. We know how difficult it is from the train uh, derailment um, the other day in North America. It's very difficult when something like that happens to be able to trace people. And we only had 240 people. They've got 25 or 30,000 people. So Instagram, a job much needed and well done. Now, you've got to hand it to Ikea when it comes to finding ways to be original. First of all, I think packaging huge pieces of furniture in flat packs with one tool and a bunch of screws and nuts, that's pretty inventive, I reckon, pretty creative. But now IKEA's found a bizarre new way to advertise its beds. It's pop-up shop in London. Customers are invited to lounge on IKEA beds instead of sitting at tables while they're served breakfast. So you go along to IKEA, jump into bed, the beds can res- be reserved for 45-minute slots from 7 a.m. till noon. And after that, the beds are made available for naps. <laughs> so you can sample a range of classic Scandinavian breakfast delicacies. Now, I can't imagine what they are because um, my big memory, I've been to Scandinavia many times, and my big memories are um, herring, 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 and more bloody herring. But you can... In sample a range of breakfasts while enjoying some quiet time between the sheets. <laughs> like uh, IKEA go on to say that you can relax in a single bed or cosy up in a double bed with a loved one where you'll be waited on hand and foot by our serving staff. Inviting customers to eat on its bed may sound like a strange idea, but it's not too far-fetched because, um, you know, IKEA famously allows people to come in find a bed and sleep in their stores. I love the cuddling up double bit. I mean, that could get pretty hairy, couldn't it? Um, we've also found out a few more details about Apple's rumoured big screen iPad, the iPad Pro. Bloomberg reported eight months ago that Apple suppliers were preparing to manufacture a new iPad model with a 12.9-inch display. Now, the current iPad Air is only 9.7. So this is 3.2 inches bigger than the current iPad Air. And new details recently emerged about the iPad. Uh, it's Firstly, it's predicted to launch in the fall. And one of the most interesting details is a reported inclusion of near-field communication, well, NFC, um, which is the technology used in the iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus to make mobile payments with Apple Pay. So they are um, they're planning to really push Apple Pay. I think it's fantastic, and I think it'll revolutionise the payment system. But um, one major hurdle that Apple Pay's been facing is that many retailers haven't upgraded to um, NFC-compatible terminals. So that's an issue. And an NFC-enabled tablet could be the answer to getting um, retailers to accelerate their adoption of Apple Pay. Apple Pay is going to be a blitzer. might take them a year or two, but it is going to really change the way we pay things. Tim Cook suggested that an iPad with a larger display could also have productivity applications. So both Google and Microsoft have offerings with 12-inch displays, and they've all been designed with productivity in mind. There's rumours also that uh, Apple may be introducing a stylus, 
and it seems that there might be some um, substance to these rumours. Apple, as you probably know, have been emphatically against a stylus for iPads. Um, Steve Jobs famously bashed the shit out of him years ago. He didn't want to know about stylus, but it sounds like the iPad Pro will come with a Bluetooth stylus with increased sensitivity for more accurate drawing and doodling. I think that's pretty cool. The new iPad's also rumoured to have a new port called the USB-C. It's a new standard port that can be used for charging and transferring files, video output to monitors, a whole range of things just with the one port. And uh, Apple has also, as you probably know, introduced USB-C to its newest laptop model, the MacBook. Finally, you know, on your, on your um, Apple Watch, they've got Force Touch which if you put a little bit of extra pressure on the button, it brings up a whole bunch of different options. And uh, the trackpad on the new MacBook also apparently features Force Touch and the new iPhone's rumoured to have it too. So that's a, that's a great innovation. I was slowly weaning off iPads. I thought they were going to go the way of the dinosaur, but it looks like they might be back in the game. I hope so. I just hate carrying the bloody things around. Uh, there's also no question that the membership model is the big mover in all types of businesses at the moment. It's a great model. Now, on, online retailers are following the Amazon Prime and the Costco model by getting shoppers to pay upfront fees in return for benefits. And the, the numbers supporting the membership model are really quite extraordinary. Think about Costco, for example. Costco's got 72 million members, 72 million all paying 50 to 100 bucks for a membership. So before they sell one single solitary thing, Costco's got $2.3 billion in the bank just in membership fees. They got full use of that money for 12 months. Now, two point, they're not earning 1 or 2 or 3% like the rest of us bunnies are. They're earning big um interest on these short-term money markets. So, And they've got full use of your money for 12 months until they stick their hand out again and you give them a whole bunch more money. I mean, it's the perfect business model. doesn't matter if I don't sell bloody anything, anything at all. I still make $2.3 billion. Sheesh, why didn't I think of that? Um, and you pay that out just for the privilege of shopping at Costco but I love Costco. It's one of my favourite stores. (laughs) I love going on Saturday lunchtime for the uh, Costco buffet. They have so many samples that you get there about 12 o'clock, and uh, by the time you've eaten your way around all the samples, you don't need lunch. Very cool. Now, Amazon Prime is the most widely known and used online membership program, and it's been so successful for the company that other online retailers are now beginning to explore this upfront fee-based program. Google, Instacart, Jet, Sephora, Thrive Market, they've all formed some type of memberships-only program for online shoppers, and it gives consumers added benefits in exchange for the upfront yearly fees. But they're not silly. There's another. Apart from getting your money upfront, there's another great angle to this. These membership programs offer retailers a number of advantages, including increased spending Forty percent of Prime members spend more than two hundred bucks on Amazon over a three-month period, compared with only thirteen percent 
of non-prime customers. So three times more people spend 200 bucks every three months because they belong to Amazon Prime. Because it, it seems that once you pay that upfront fee, you're likely to go back more and more and more so that you get more benefit from it. Very bloody smart. But there are also major challenges for retailers. I guess, you know, the services offered to members often come with added costs to retailers. Free, free shipping's one. Um, and you've got to absorb those delivery costs and you're already probably discounting your products. And uh, retailers have also got to clear a pretty high bar to um, convince customers that they're offering a service that's actually worth paying for. I haven't joined Amazon Prime just simply because I don't know how I get the benefit from it without buying a whole bunch more shit that I don't need. But free delivery and lower prices are the top benefits retailers include in their membership programs. 74% of US consumers say the free delivery motivates them to shop more online. 74% free delivery. 50% say lower prices. While Amazon Prime emphasizes free delivery, lower prices are the primary attraction of the soon-to-be-launched jet. The membership models are proving especially attractive for grocery delivery companies. Although Instacart doesn't break out what percentage of customers are part of its membership program, the grocery delivery startup is reportedly handing over $1 million in sales a week and accounting for up to 5% of weekly sales for some whole food outlets. I suspect that more and more and more businesses in all types of industries, no matter what they are, are going to jump on the membership bandwagon in the next few years. It is a great business model. Now, you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show Worldwide on Voice America Business. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become more successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, doesn't matter what it is, it could be IP, it could be taxation, it could be marketing, it could be sales, it could be management, it could be leadership, doesn't matter what it is, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or we'll email you directly. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter. It's being sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries this week. We receive a great response to the newsletter, so don't miss out on it. We've also uh, had a lot of requests to send out a summary of each week's radio program, and we're beginning to do that now and getting great feedback. Thanks for that. Really appreciate it. Today's interview is with Jessica Rose, who came up with a fantastic idea. We rehearse. It's a great video chat which helps connect you with other actors anywhere in the world to learn lines, run through scripts, compare, you know, used by directors, used by anyone. Musicians can collaborate with anybody anywhere in the world. Um, Jessica smashed into the consciousness of global audiences way back in 2006 as a star of Lonely Girl 15 on internet radio. Jessica became YouTube royalty and won countless awards, including the 2007 Webby Award for Best Actress and Forbes Magazine Number One Web Celebrity. She's a great girl. I love her, Jessica. And I'll be back with her after this short break. Music. 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the uh, part of the show where we talk to successful and very often extraordinary people, people that have enjoyed great success and that are making a difference. You know, it's bloody hard to be successful. It's hard to start a business. It's hard to make that business work. And uh, there are just so many amazingly talented people that we can learn from. And so one of the things I try to do in these interviews is find out what makes these people tick. What is it that they've done and what mistakes have they made that we can actually all learn from? Because... If you go and just make the same mistakes that somebody before you made, you are a fucking moron, you know, and you'll probably, and you deserve to fail. So we talk to successful people, and today we're speaking with Jessica Rose, who happens to live in Melbourne, which is, and very close to where I was actually born, Um, although I got out of there 27 years ago, so... I'm cool with it. But she came up with a fantastic idea, We Rehearse. It's a, it's a terrific video chat that's, that's built specifically for actors. Now, if you're an actor, We Rehearse helps you connect with other actors to learn lines, run through your scripts, easy sharing of idea right in the video window. So let's say you've, you've got a part and um, you've got no rehearsal partner at late notice. You simply search the We Rehearse database of readers and bingo, you've got somebody to read with and becoming a reader's easy. You can earn tips on the craft and you can make money while you're improving. So how good is that? Jessica Rose smashed into the consciousness of a global audience way back in 2006. Way back in 2006. Jeez, it's only 15 years ago. Um, as the star of Lonely Girl 15 on internet radio. So millions followed this groundbreaking series as the internet and the real world media discussed the blurring of fiction and reality. The The whole of our life is the blurring of fiction and reality, really, isn't it? I mean, do you ever wake up in the morning and think, Christ, did that really happen to me? Wow, how cool was that? And Jessica became 
YouTube royalty and won countless awards, including the 2007 Webby Award for Best Actress and Forbes magazine number one web celebrity. Success on the internet was followed with a recurring role in the mainstream TV comedy Greek and independent films. So after discovering online success and its magical reach to new audiences, Jessica began developing new ideas and producing content. As part of the process, she regularly met with co-creators via video chat, and that's how the idea of We Rehearse was born. Now, Jessica attracted a small, dedicated team that shared her vision, and from the initial idea to a working technology that has now accumulated, culminated, (laughs) can't even read, in an official launch of a product that will enable millions around the globe to improve their talent. What a bloody good idea. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America (laughs) Business Network. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am terrific. So Terrific. Terrific. I'm always terrific. What can be bad? Good. Um, (laughs) Los Angeles, beautiful weather, great people, positive attitude. Nothing better. So, how did you get how did you get your business idea for We Rehearse? Did you just sort of wake up in the middle of one night, you know, two o'clock in the morning, and you go, "Hey, what a great idea! I've got it." <laughs> Actually, I had the idea for a uh, a studio space, a more traditional studio space, for a really long time of an area that actors in Los Angeles could actually physically drive to. But then uh, one night, I I had a bar job at the time, and I was driving there, and I had a really big audition the next day. I actually don't remember what it was. But I got it, and it was for, like, 9 a.m. the next morning, and I knew I was going to be working till midnight. And I I texted a bunch of friends, and I asked my dad, I asked everybody if they could meet me or Skype with me or do something like that. And I couldn't find anyone. Nobody was available. It just was too late notice. And that's when I sort of realized, wow, this, Maybe this needs to be online. Maybe this needs to be something that is video chat, not an actual studio space. So that's sort of where I I realized that the potential for this online community of actors and coaches. Yeah, the, I guess the great thing is if if I'm if I'm rehearsing for a part, and tell me if this is far fetched, but I'm rehearsing for a part, and I've got to have a Yugoslav accent. Mm-hmm. I could I could get an acting partner in mm-hmm. Yugoslavia to rehearse with on the screen? Yeah, right. that's that's the idea, yeah. How or an Australian. I mean, you wouldn't need an Australian, but I might. An Australian. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's true because um, even if you were just working in L.A., trying to drive, if you, if you found a, a, um, a studio in Hollywood, from half mm-hmm. of LA, it's almost a bloody impossible place to get to. Yeah, yeah but, exactly. That was a big part of it. Particularly exactly. for a nine o'clock call, you caught. You know, you <laughs> you need to be leaving home at six o'clock to get there. So, yeah, what, what makes your experience as an entrepreneur and the CEO of We Rehearse? What makes that unique? Um, I think for me, it's sort of it's a new thing for me. I mean, I've always had that entrepreneur spirit, even. I was one of those little kids that you'd see like selling golf call, golf balls that I found at the golf course on the side of the road. Um, like I've always been sort of trying to find a way to do it on my own. And um, 
really, I don't have a formal education. I Everything that I know, I have taught myself. And yeah. I kind of have gone into everything with just like, I will figure it out. I will find a way. That's um, the best way to do I'm, things, you know. You know. I, yeah, and I've learned, the thing is, you can spend years and years at school and learn only a few things that you find super valuable, whereas I, anything that I want to know, I find out, and I just teach myself, and I, it's kind of sets in better that way. Yeah, it's interesting, because when, when you look at the top 100 um, most successful um, entrepreneurs in America, there's only about, mm-hmm. um, there's only about 20 of them that ever finished um, college. You know, yeah. they all dropped out, and because if you think the four years that you're in college, um, mm-hmm. how much money you lose for that little bit of education mm-hmm. and the little bit you get at the other end, I don't reckon it's mm-hmm. worth it. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're born with this spirit that, you know, all college does is knock you into a little box that you don't want to be in. So yeah, know, I think generally people have that that feeling of. Of, yeah, like they're, they're going to figure it out themselves, so they don't need someone else sort of telling them. I think school is great for some people, but but not me. <laughs> yeah, not me either. So <laughs> you're one of those pesky little kids that set up a lemonade stand outside of your house and pestered everybody that went past. I suppose you've, you've well, always lemonade was too mainstream, man. <laughs> I did all kinds of stuff. I got my flower shops on Valentine's Day and sold raisins for half the price. Like I was, I was <laughs> a crafty little one. Okay, so what is it that you that you love about being an entrepreneur? Um, I I like it because it gives me the opportunity to create a job that I love instead of seeking out one that you know kind of sort of fits the bill. Like a lot of times, people are looking down on on people who try different things and constantly change up their profession. But in the world of entrepreneurs, that's the name of the game. I, I learn something new with every success and, and every single failure that happens to me. And I'm in control of it. I, I, I like that. I, I really enjoy that. And it's interesting, and you can go off and do, you know, as you can pivot any time you want and, and you can um, keep on adapting things. I, I often think, you know, can you imagine being a, a bank manager? You sit there behind a cage. That's that's a bit of a worry before a, before you start. And you say, "Hello, Mrs. Smith. How are you today? You look lovely. Would you like that in tens or twenties?" And you say that five hundred times a day. You would go stark raving, fucking mad, wouldn't you? I mean, how would you yes. handle? Ah. I mean, some people love that consistency. I can't. I get bored. I need to change it up. I need to find something that refreshes me all the time. That's what I love about it. Yeah, and it it, it pushes your um pushes your imagination and and pushes your mind. As soon as I'm comfortable, I want to run. I want to change. I want to do something. <laughs> yeah, and you don't probably don't miss sitting on the train on the way to work either, do you? No, no, I, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Every entrepreneur that's out there listening faces a whole bunch of obstacles on their way to success. You know, it's bloody hard to be successful. There's a whole whole lot of things that you've got to get right. And most entrepreneurs are good at creating things, but they're not necessarily good at running things or administering things. Um, what are the what are the major challenges that you've faced as an entrepreneur? Not only with um, we rehearse, but as you've as you've developed your career, um, I've found that 
I'm someone that really wants to be able to do everything. Like I, if I want something done, I do it myself because I've always been told that like growing up constantly, like my mom, she's kind of joking, but it always stuck in, sunk in. It was, you want something done right and do it yourself. And yeah. so the hardest thing for me has actually been delegating. Uh, I, I've managed to sort of find a way, especially with re-rehearse, that, that's actually been really great having two business partners because it forced me to delegate. And yeah, you said like, relying on these other people, that has been hard and trusting people with a thing that you're really passionate about. That's really hard, but you have to like give someone the reins. And a lot of the time they really impress you and they really help your idea grow to places that you didn't necessarily know that it would. So I found that that's a challenge, but also really fulfilling at the same time. When, is it harder to um, um, trust a partner or an employee, or does it not matter? Um, I think, you know, I, I don't actually know how to answer that. Like, I think there's always, with your with your partner, they have 100%, they have just as much control as you do. Like, in my case, I... I have a, an equal business partner, and so they have the same amount of control of the company, the same amount of input in the company as I do. Um, and I think at first that can be hard, but after a while you get used to it. With employees, I I don't know yet. I, our company is not big enough yet to have hired any, so but I, I can imagine that would be very hard for me. Yeah, of course... Um if you go to most attorneys that set up businesses always say that you know the the biggest kiss of death of most businesses is um a business partner because um all sorts of things you know things things always start off good but they they go to shit real quick um yeah so what else has been a, an issue is as have you had situations where you've needed money for example have you found it difficult to um, raise yeah, money yeah i mean to to get ourselves off the ground, then we definitely need a little bit of money. And because we are a tech company, yeah. um, developers are like developers are so expensive. If you're going to be building sure. a website like we are, yeah. that's where most of your money, if not all of your money, is going to go, especially in the beginning. Yes, we were lucky enough to find our CTO, who was, was my third business partner, um, that we could we gave a percentage and money, which is very hard to find, but luckily he was super passionate about this idea and I wouldn't have it any other way because we've changed so many things and if I had just said, here's your money, build this, we'd have a totally different product to what we have now because it, it, he wouldn't have grown with us. He wouldn't have changed things or adapted things for us. It would have been more and more and more of an expense. Yeah, that that's that's often a problem because when you um, think of something and envision something in the first place, it hardly hardly ever turns out exactly the way you you saw it because yeah. um, you know there's there's always something jumps up and decides it's going to bite you in the ass. Um, yeah, I found that a lot of people were like that I've talked to. Um, that are starting businesses and stuff, they're always so afraid to give away any piece of the pie. And I sort yeah. of say to them, well, you can have 100% of nothing or yeah. you can have 50% of a million-dollar company or a multi-million-dollar company. Which, which would you prefer? Yeah. And obviously that makes it a little bit more clear for them. So that was sort of how I thought about, about getting our developer something. I was like, well, of course, he's going to make this, of course. Well, it's... 
the reality is that of the um, CEOs in the big startups in Silicon Valley, most of them own 10, 12, 14% of their business. Mm-hmm. And they've had mm-hmm. to give the rest, rest up as they've gone through various um, raises. Getting yeah. the word out is, we always, you know, somebody outside the industry always sort of thinks as the acting profession as, as fairly connected and, um, everybody knows what everybody else is doing and, and, um, you know, it's a fairly, it's a big, small community. So mm-hmm. is that true? So does that make it easier to spread the word through, say, social media or through, um, word of mouth through just social circles? Yeah, well, the thing is is that it's easy to get the message out there in some ways, but it's hard to get people to actually check it out. Like, every single person that we talk to about We Rehearse that's an actor or a coach or whatever, love the idea, they're 100% on board, but then it's very hard to actually get them to go from, oh, my gosh, this is amazing, to signing up. That has been a really big challenge. Um, We have found that when they're saying, uh, what, 12, 13 impressions is what it takes before someone actually has a look at your website. Um, So we've been doing a lot of Facebook ads. We've been posting on our personal Twitters and Facebooks and stuff like that because we we have both lived in uh, Los Angeles for about nine years. So we do have a pretty broad reach as far as actors are concerned. But, yeah, it's, it's really been, I think, as soon as someone uses the site and has a good experience, that's more valuable than anything yeah. else because word of mouth is like God. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. So mm-hmm. I do. Just imagine when you made. Just imagine when Musk made his first Tesla, and you sit there and think, <laughs> "Shit, who's going to buy this thing at one hundred and twenty grand?" Um, yeah. So the. Um, who, who do you admire as far as far as entrepreneurs go? Who who do you mm-hmm. admire as an entrepreneur? Who do you think um, ha, has got that right combination of leadership and ability and vision and all of the other things that yes. go with being an entrepreneur? Richard Branson, one hundred percent. I love Richard Branson. Um, I think he's got such a good balance of like work life business life um he's really good with customer service which i worked in like hospitality and customer service industry for a long time so i really value that too i would hate for any of my customers to ever feel like or my users to ever feel like oh man i had a problem and they were so rude to me that would be horrible i would hate to hear that um and so he's someone that i have started to really follow and really take his advice on board because I just think he runs great business. Does the fact that he's had, you know, there's been 256 companies or something that have had the Virgin (laughs) name of which 251 (laughs) of them or something have all gone broke, that doesn't sort of discourage you from being a brand sort of fan? That's why he's amazing because he just keeps trying new things and like, You've got to fail, and you kind of learn more from those than you do from the successful ones. The successful ones are great, and they keep you going until you can try something else that maybe will fail, maybe will succeed. But I think that's what's cool. He's so positive still and and still thinking and still trying to come up with the next big thing. And also his, like, advertising campaigns back in the early days were so cheeky and so funny that I just love I loved that. It wasn't so serious corporate. It was like a little bit of attitude, a little bit of personality, which was not done back back in those days. 
Yeah, yeah. No, Richard's good. He, he, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not knocking him. I, I, li- I actually like mm-hmm. him. I had a fair bit to do with him. I was involved as marketing director with Formula One and with World Series Cricket back, mm-hmm. way back then, and I had a lot to do mm-hmm. with him back then. I, I admire him too. So um, yeah. what's been the key to driving your success is it is it how did you how did you get the um um internet way back way back way back in 2006 God, um, I auditioned for that whole nine years um yeah no I auditioned for that job and I didn't really know what it was going to be and it was maybe supposed to be a movie, maybe not. And then they told me what it was going to be and I was a little bit hesitant. But then I talked to a few people that I, you know, admired and they had said, you know what, you're, you're smart enough to know whether or not you're going to like this project. So you go there and try out the first day on set. If it feels like, because I, I thought it might be porn. I really did. I, I mean, YouTube was brand new. Yeah. Talking into the camera, like, all I knew about videos online was porn. So I was pretty like, oh, I don't know about this Lonely Girl 15 thing, but my, my acting coaches were like, you know what, try it out. Like, it's not going to be, it probably isn't going to be that, and as soon as you get there, you're going to figure out the vibe and just leave. Like, no one can force you to do anything. And I was like, okay. So I went, and, and it ended up being amazing. So have you been on the stage all your life? Were you a um, child prodigy? No, I <laughs> no, I was about 13 when I first discovered acting. Um, I was definitely a drama queen when I was younger, <laughs> but uh, I didn't most know that wi- acting most women was a career. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so 13, um, 13, you decided yeah, that the hell with school, I'm going to be an actor. Kind of. I had never actually, I don't know what I thought actors were, but I had never realized that one could be an actor. I just thought they were magical people, or I don't know what I thought, but I thought not regular person could be one. The second I realized that anyone can do that, and that kind of spawned probably my entrepreneur spirit of like, oh, if anyone can do that, that means that anyone can do anything. So, you know, I started planning how I was going to be successful and when I was going to move to America, because and, and, I, I grew up in New Zealand. Um, and, yeah, I kind of went for it. So... What made you come to America? Just the fact that Hollywood's Hollywood? Yeah, I was born uh, in Maryland on the East Coast and then uh, moved to New Zealand when I was eight. My mom is from New Zealand. And then when I turned 18, I moved back to go to the New York Film Academy, which is an acting school in Los Angeles. Yep, familiar with it. Yep. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I went there. And um, yeah, I think it was just I'd always had that, that ambition as soon as I decided to be an actress, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do acting here at home, which nothing wrong with that. But I was 100% like, oh, I'm going to go to Greece. That's where I need to be. I don't mind the competition. I'm ready. <laughs> and being an actor's tough, isn't it? I mean, you know, um, I know a few um, budding actresses in, in Los Angeles, and their yeah. life seems to be, you know, a constant... Um, cycle of of um, auditions and readings and and rejections and more rejections and mm-hmm. not not getting offered any you know parts that they feel they can get their teeth into so it's a pretty well and, and also the fact that what is it one in every hundred actors in Los Angeles actually earns a living um, so yeah. 
what's the what's the key to being a, a successful actor in Los Angeles? Is it um, uh, you get to a point where your talent is such that people notice you, or is it being in the right place at the right time, or is it what is it? You know, I really think I read recently. I think I'm not sure the casting director was, but they uh, said that they would estimate that talent only makes up for about seven percent of the casting process, which is unreal. Um, but seven. I think confidence. Yes, yeah, seven. I think confidence in yourself is more important than anything. There's a big difference between confidence and cockiness, which I think sure. a lot of actors mistake. Sure. Um, but then a lot of actors, myself included, when I first came out of Lonely Girl and I was I'm getting a lot of auditions, I I had that sort of tall poppy syndrome from growing up in New Zealand where I felt like, oh, I haven't done anything good yet. Like, I, I don't deserve this attention. I don't deserve this success. So I kind of came across as maybe a little bit um, shy or un- green, uncertain yeah. of my own. Yeah, like green, like a little bit uncertain of my own skills. Um which actually was me just trying to be like, oh, I don't think I'm that good, don't worry. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think confidence in yourself and just walking in the room and then got, and like being really prepared, walking in, doing exactly what you came to do, the best performance you can do, and then leaving. There's yeah. so many tips and tricks and blah, 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 but at the end of the day, walk in, be good, and leave. That's, yeah, that's I- sort of it. Casting directors can smell that fear and that insecurity, can't they? They smell it mm-hmm. before you even walk in the door. Yeah, and that's sort of what I feel we rehearse is good for is because if you're on our site and you're helping actors with their auditions and you're getting help with yours, you're constantly practicing and you're you're feeling good about yourself when you're constantly practicing. And yeah. so and you also can make money there. So it's like... You don't have to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm here to be an actor, but I've been here for nine years and I've been a waitress the whole time or whatever, and, and you're actually making money as an actor in a different sense. So I think it's just a really good way to, to build confidence. So what's the next step for We Rehearse? Well, we just launched the first step. Yeah, yep, that's the first <laughs> no, step. It's what's, where do you go from yeah. here? Just constantly um, out there beating the pavement to get um, um, members, is that? Yeah, well, we're also trying to improve. Like, we've found as soon as you put something out to the public, it's like every problem that you've somehow missed through the the building up time comes to life. It's like you can all of a sudden see it because it's public. Um, So at this point, we're just trying to tweak things and adjust things to make them the best user like make them the best for our users experience um and then from there we actually are almost finished with building our workshops and seminar section of the site where actors can watch seminars with hollywood actor uh, hollywood casting directors directors uh pr people all of that kind of thing on our site so you don't have to actually be in la to do that you can watch it from arkansas you can watch it from wherever you want that's a great idea that really is yeah. a good idea because, you know, I've, I've actually spoken quite often to um, actors and budding actors in Australia who say, you know, that they just wish they were exposed to the sort of things that you can get exposed to here. There's just so much happening in, in Hollywood, for want of a better word. That, um, yeah, it's you know, kind of like putting your toes in the pool. <laughs> putting your toes in the pool without having to actually pay for the flight and move your whole life to Los Angeles. You can sort of try it out for a little while and then... Maybe go, cool, I'm ready. So 
what's the response been like um, to We Rehearse? Um, firstly, from an industry point of view, and secondly, from a sign-up point of view. Um, I'm really positive for the most part. I mean, from the industry point of view, with casting directors and, and people like that, it's sort of like I was saying before, everyone's excited about it and, and ready to try it out. But it's actually getting people on the side, which has been really, which has been difficult. But that being said, the users that are on there, I would say, I think all the people that have used it have given it five because you can rate on the side. They've given it five stars and left positive feedback. We've had very, very few, if any, um, negative, negative comments. So I'm pretty proud, proud of that. I'm pretty happy with how it's going. It's just more creating a habit like anything. I had Facebook for two years before I started using it. It just takes time before you, something becomes like a part of your daily, daily life. Is it just for actors? It's for anyone in the entertainment industry. Like I said, that directors and writers could come on there, uh, post their their sides, uh, their script in the um, the window, and have an actor read the lines out loud. And that that's a nice way for them to hear their script off the page. I know a lot of writers like to hear that because it looks a lot different to them. Um, same with directors; they could practice directing there because. They have an actor do a scene and then tell them to do it this way, tell them to do it that way, and have the actor tell them if that's clear, if that's not clear. I think it's, it's really good for anyone that wants to be in the industry to practice with actors. So writers could writers could collaborate on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, what about what about musicians, or is it simply? I mean. No, you, I mean, musicians, really, they could. They definitely could do it. Um, it wasn't originally created for musicians, but there's no reason why musicians couldn't come there and, and rock out together. And collaborate, yeah. I, I just think that yeah. collaboration is so difficult in, in this town. Well, in America, because, first of all, not everybody lives here. You know, all the, a lot of people do, but there's a hell of a lot of people that don't. And, um, yeah. you know, collaboration is... is really really important so i think it's a fantastic idea it's called we rehearse exactly as it sounds Mm -hmm. jessica thanks very very much for joining me on the bob pritchard radio show i really do appreciate it and if Mm -hmm. you'd like to find out more about jessica and about we rehearse how do they do that jessica they go to they can go to www.werehearse.com so we rehearse Mm -hmm. Dot com. So if you're an actor or a writer or even a musician and you want somewhere to collaborate, to try things out without actually having to physically leave your lounge room, then we rehearse. A great idea. I love it. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business show. Coming to you this week from Los Angeles, I'm Bob Pritchard. Many entrepreneurs are so in love with their project that they think it's a matter of writing a powerful business plan, sending it out, speak to a potential investor on the phone, be enthusiastic, negotiate a small percentage deal, and within 24 hours, the money will be in your account. Wrong. One of the most difficult elements of business for most people is raising funds. It is bloody hard. You knock on so many doors, you get told to piss off so many times that you really get disillusioned after a bit. And I understand from friends at Angel Funds that I know that only about 5% of entrepreneurs receive any funding at all, and it's usually less than they need or want. And usually you've got to give away a much higher percentage of your business than you'd intended to. You know, you wanted to go out and get a million dollars and you were going to give away 20% of your company and then you end up getting $500,000 and you give away 35% of your company. That's what usually happens. And it really doesn't matter how much work you've put into your business plan or your investment plan, how much you persevere or how great your product or service is. It's still bloody hard. The reason for this, I guess, is quite simple. There are literally tens of thousands of entrepreneurs around the planet seeking funding every single day. And there's a relatively small number of investors. So in order to get funding, you have to be exceptional. And the first thing you need to do to get your company started, get it up and running, this means getting incorporated, getting your tax ID, establishing your web presence, developing your collateral material, and putting together a detailed business plan. All the things that you need to actually have a running business Now, this business plan, you've got to detail the need. Why is there a need for this product that you've got? How do you address that need? How does your product solve this issue? The detailed approach that you're going to take to get it out into the marketplace and uh, the highly experienced people you've surrounded yourself with and uh, financials and an exit strategy. Now, that's the very minimum you've got to put together. Ideally, If you can be unique, really unique, and attract potential customers, generate media, and at very minimum have a prototype, then you're beginning to actually look like a business. So they're the things that you need if you want to go out and raise funds. A good friend of mine sent me this little ditty which I think applies to entrepreneurs Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the entrepreneurs, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can praise them, disagree with them, quote them, disbelieve them, glorify them, or you can vilify them about the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They invent, they imagine, they heal, they explore, they create, they inspire, they push the human race forward. Maybe they have to be crazy. How else can you stare at an empty canvas and see a work of art or sit in silence and hear a song that's never been written? That's the one that always amazes me. Or gaze at a red planet 
and see laboratory on wheels. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world, well, they're the ones that actually do change the world. So if you're one of those who wants to break the rules, who wants to see things differently, who is a rebel, congratulations. You have all the makings of a great entrepreneur. Now, going back to investors for a minute. If you're out there talking to investors about raising money, then the first thing they'll likely ask you is, give me your elevator pitch. And believe it or not, you can live or die by the quality of that elevator pitch. The elevator pitch originated from the premise that if you were in an elevator with a potential investor for, say, 30 seconds, you're only going up 10 floors or something, how would you describe your business so that the investor, just before he gets out, turns around to you and says, that sounds interesting, I'd like to hear more about that, here's my card, give me a call. Perfect, right? 30-second pitch. So here are the three ingredients for a good elevator pitch. Firstly, what's the problem that you're setting out to solve? You know, if there's not a problem out there to solve, who's going to buy your stuff because nobody's going to need it? So you need to show that there's a problem. And secondly, how are you going to solve that problem? How does your product solve the problem? Thirdly, How big's the market that you're going into? Is it huge or is it tiny? It's obviously much easier to get funding for a big market. And you got to and then how do you intend to capture that? That's really a fourth question, but how how do you tend to go about getting it? And you gotta do all of that in just thirty seconds. So it takes rights and rewrites and more rewrites and more rewrites to try and get it really tight. Now, I think the most commonly used example of a great elevator pitch is probably Netflix. Um, And what a phenomenal growth they've had. Wow. You know, people hate, I used to hate going to the video store, go down to Blockbuster, and every time, you know, I just hated it go down to Blockbuster and park, and in half the country you could go down in the rain. So you hated to go to the video store and read a movie, and almost inevitably you always paid late fees because you never never, ever took it back on time. And people hate that. I used to hate bloody late fees. They end up costing you more than the movie. So Netflix solved the problem of having to go to the store and rent a movie, and never having to pay late fees again. So the first part of Netflix elevator pitch is nobody likes to go to the video store to rent a movie and no one wants to pay late fees. Both really true. Now, this is a problem that everyone can relate to. So when you're putting together your elevator pitch, try and phrase the problem so everybody can say, they're talking about me, that's me, I hate that. And I want something done about it. I'm going to buy it, get this fixed. Now, this is a problem everyone can relate to. So now we've explained the problem. We need the Netflix solution. So the second part of the elevator pitch becomes our Netflix provides a huge range of movies that you can order, send it right to you where you are, and you never have to pay another late fee again. 
So the problem and the solution relate directly to each other. The next question, how big is the market? A huge market possibly represents a huge business and a huge profit. So how did Netflix tie in the market size? For over 90 million Americans, going to the video store to rent a movie is a pain and they hate paying late fees even more. So with just five words, we told the investor just how big the market is, 90 million. So how do we get to them? Through social media. So to make it short and tight, we need to polish this elevator pitch to as few words as possible. Even then, people probably won't remember it until after you've left the elevator. So you need a consumer purchasing benefit. So CPB for Netflix could be mail-order DVD rentals to your door, no late fees. Now you really have to work on this elevator pitch and tagline to make it powerful, short memory. And what do you do when you get to the stage where you think it's right? You test it, test it, test it, test it, refine it, and then test it some more. If you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, it's much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.